And this morning we carry on looking at the early chapters of Mark's Gospel. And our section this morning is 129 to chapter 2, verse 5, page 836. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer enter a town but was out in desolate places And people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, let's pray for God's help. Our Father, we pray that we would listen well to Jesus' words and learn well from them about priorities and patterns for our life as a church and for Redeemer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, I've titled this section 
In Mark 1, 29 to 2, 5, Jesus came to preach. And there are four steps. You'll see these laid out on the service sheet in Mark's argument. Firstly, people come to Jesus desperate for physical healing. That's 129 to 34. You may have noticed when we read the passage that Mark loves using the word immediately. 35 times he uses it in his gospel. It has led some to conclude wrongly, I think, that Mark is of the four gospels, the action-packed, fast-paced one that focuses on Jesus' action rather than his words. Arguably, Mark's gospel is the one that focuses mostly on the significance of Jesus' words. I think Mark's use of the word immediately, rather than conveying pace of action or temporal movement, is to convey urgency. Jesus has come to the earth. He begins his mission and his ministry. And everything he does and everything he says is of the utmost importance. Jesus has left the synagogue in Capernaum where he's been teaching and has healed a demon-possessed man. That's the episode immediately before where we read. Just look at verse 28, the very end of the previous section. At once or immediately, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, we can tell with certainty from the context here that while people initially had been struck and amazed at the authority of Jesus' teaching, very quickly his fame was on account of his healing miracles. And we can well understand that. Had you been in the temple and had listened and then had seen him cure a demon-possessed man, all of your human instincts and human natures would tell of his healing rather than tell of his teaching. Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes to the home of Simon and Andrew with James and John. They are the four fishermen that he has recently called to be his disciples. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. It is a quiet, undramatic, almost matter-of-fact miracle. She is healed. She gets up. She begins to serve them. Probably she prepares a meal. It is a quiet, domestic, low-key scene. But that all changed. Read with me again from verse 32. And just try and get the reality of this in your heads. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, whether that is literally true, or Mark is just speaking metaphorically, what is certainly true, that hordes of people were brought to Jesus. A growing crowd, desperate for physical 
help. And I think what is fair to see is that had we been there, we would have been outside of that door. Wanting healing. And it's worth just pausing for a minute and allowing us to reach that conclusion in our hearts. Because I think that's right. The sick, the lame, the dying, the demon-possessed, desperate for help, for a healing touch from Jesus. This is a dangerous part of the Bible to make points from. It's a part of the Bible that invites us to get inside of it and to live through these events and make decisions in the face of reality. We can surely understand their desperation for physical healing. And what did Jesus do? Verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Just a, a point on that, this command to secrecy, which is common through the early chapters of the Gospels. There are two reasons for secrecy. Here, Jesus will not let the truth come out by demonic revelation. It comes by divine revelation. And then later on in the gospel, for example, he tells Peter not to tell anyone who he is when he's confessed that he is the Messiah. It's because people need to really understand who he is before they can go and uh, tell. Mark's point, though, in verses 29 to 34, people come to Jesus, or we come to him, desperate for help, physical help. Uh, healing. And notice too in the text, people come to him, but Mark's emphasis is on people bringing others to him. It's the, the pain of the people who look on, who are desperate to alleviate people's suffering. Next, verses 35 to 39, Jesus with draws to pray and resolves that he has come to preach. Very early the next morning, Mark records, Jesus left the house and went off to a desolate place to pray. Somebody made a comment to me after the first service, which I think is helpful and valid. Are the desolate places in Mark's gospel, places of temptation. That's a fair call, I think. Difficult decisions. Simon and the other disciples search for Jesus and they rebuke him. It's slightly lost in the translation, everyone is looking for you, but the Greek here is sparky, strong, it's angry. Jesus, what are you doing? They're all back again at the door. Why would you want to disappoint people, Jesus? Jesus. 
Why would you want to confuse them? Why would you want to disappoint us, Jesus? Now, there are three occasions in Mark's gospel when Jesus prays twice, faced with a dilemma in his own life here and in Gethsemane as he contemplates his death. The other occasion, the third occasion when he prays, he prays for the disciples, for them to understand who he is. He prays and as a result resolves that he has come to preach. Verse 38 is key. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I have come for. Everyone is looking for you. The disciples said to him, everyone is looking for you to help them with their physical needs. Jesus' response, let us go that I may preach, for that is why I came. Jesus has come to preach, to speak a message of forgiveness. He has come to deal with humanity's greatest problem that is sin and our desperate need for forgiveness. Now that word desperate, I think, is really important as we get our heads around this. It's not that people come to Jesus for physical healing and Jesus comes to them with a message. It's more like people come to Jesus desperate for physical help. And Jesus sees a deeper need, the desperate need, often unrecognized, of forgiveness. The difference between what we desperately want from Jesus, not what we want, it's much more serious than that, what we desperately want and what we desperately need. Born of the bleakness and brokenness of our human bodies and those we love, compared to the sickness of our souls, the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, born of a message in words, is what Jesus has come to do. And do not think for a moment, and Mark does not allow us to think this for a moment, that Jesus came to this decision or resolve lightly or easily. He did so in the face of the bleakness and the brokenness of humanity. He did so in the context that there will be physical healing. Sometimes in this world, on this earth, but for the Christian, there is the promise of a perfect resurrected body in a perfect new creation, an eternal existence free from suffering and death. But that is not for us to have unless our sins have been forgiven first. Now, 
You see, in the end, who is it to assess and to determine what we need? The answer is Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Jesus withdraws to pray and resolves that he has come to preach. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach, for that is what I came for. That's a very strong, clear, direct, unambiguous statement from the Lord Jesus. Let us go to the towns so that I may preach, for that is what I came on earth to do. Now, how does that square, for example, with a text later on in Mark, which is maybe the key text in the whole gospel, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. I have come to preach. I have come to die. Which is it? Both. And they are integrate related. I have come to preach the forgiveness of sins. And I have come to die as the means of forgiveness. Now, Jesus resolves that he has come to preach. Now, what happens next? What happens next would not have happened and would not have been written in here unless it actually did happen. Because it's not neat. What you expect is Jesus makes this decision, this resolve in his heart, and from there on, Faced with physical and spiritual need, he will always address the spiritual need. And he meets a leper on the road. A leper who is not only a physical outcast, but a spiritual outcast. A leper came to him, imploring him, verse 40, and kneeling said to him, if you will, in other words, if you are willing or if you want to, you can heal me. That is an accurate assessment. This man came to Jesus desperate. How will Jesus respond? Will he respond by saying, it's not physical healing you need, it is spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. That's not how he responds, he heals him. Why does he heal him? Why does he do it having just resolved not to? There is nothing in Mark's text to say that Jesus heals him in order to demonstrate his authority as a preacher or a teacher, which is a, a very common reason he heals people. For example, back in, in chapter 
uh, one or later on in, in chapter two, he says, but they, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. It's to give authority. But that's not here. Why would he do this for authority to teach when the result of doing this is what? What does the text say? Just look with me. The man went out against Jesus' command and began to talk freely about his healing and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town. What has he just resolved to do? Let us go to the nearby towns so that I can preach. He doesn't heal him to demonstrate his authority as a preacher. Why does he heal him? What does it say? Because he's moved with pity or anguished compassion is a better translation. Faced with this leper, he stretches out his hand, Jesus, and touches him and says to him, I am willing, be clean. Now these events make Mark's gospel so believable and so real. It's hard for us to understand exactly why this happened. Why did he heal him? Perhaps to show that his resolve to preach is not borne by any lack of compassion. But I am cautious of saying we are being taught a lesson here about priorities. We may need to learn that lesson. But we learn it, not analytically, not by learning a lesson from a textbook, but in the face of of desperate, desperate need. But there's a warning, verse 43. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He sends him to the priest. That's just following the protocol in Mosaic law for a cleansed letter. But leper, but what are the command to silence? See that you say nothing. And Jesus is stern with him. If the man told people what happened, what would happen? People would flock to Jesus for what? For healing. I mean, would you not have done that if you were a leper? And it's no surprise. And let's not be hard on this fellow who tells his friends. You can hardly blame him. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let us go to the nearby towns so that I can preach there. That is what I have come to do. Jesus could not go into a town. He could not do what he had come to do. And then chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, we're back in Capernaum. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, 
it was reported that he was at home. That's verse 1. Home is very probably the same house as chapter 1, verse 29, Peter and Simon's house. So back where we were. Chapter 2, verse 2. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. That's awfully like chapter 1, verse 33. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And what did Jesus do in that earlier episode, chapter 1, verse 34? He healed many who were sick with various diseases. And what is he doing now? Chapter 2, verse 2, many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. It's exactly the same. What is he doing? He was preaching the word to them. And what comes in between these two occasions? Jesus withdrawing to pray and resolving that he has come to preach. Chapter 2, verse 3, they came, verse 3, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Perhaps they had heard from the leper who had been healed. They are desperate for their friend to be healed physically. Earlier, the leper's desperation was expressed so powerfully in his demeanor and his words. He implored Jesus. He knelt before him and he said, Jesus, if you are only willing, will you heal me? And now here the desperation is expressed in a different way. They make a hole in the roof to get their man down to where Jesus was standing. We are not meant to admire or reflect with a smile on our faces their ingenuity. We are meant to clock how desperate desperate they were to have their friend healed. Do you not read again and again or watch programs on television of people who go to extraordinary lengths to find a cure for someone they love? And so the man lies paralyzed, unable to move, at the feet of the eternal Son of God. What will Jesus do? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now here's a good point for me to pause and say, are Jesus' words or the word of God not more powerful and persuasive than any of us saying this is the priority? When Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, that is born out of all that has happened. The people desperate for physical healing. Jesus withdrawing to pray to his Father. And the conviction that comes to the divine heart of the eternal Son of God, I have come to preach. 
And then he meets the leper. And moved with compassion, he reaches out and takes his hand. But he can't do what he has come to do. And here he is back in that house. Simon. And Andrew's house. And like before, there are so many people there that there's no room at the door. And like the leper, these people out of desperate need get their friend to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, you have a deeper need. And I'm going to address that deeper need out of a compassion that one day you will thank God for. Your sins are forgiven. Now that is the persuasive power of the words of Jesus. Now let me finish with drawing out some implications for us. Firstly, that Jesus is our example and teacher, so our priority is speaking Jesus' words. We are to do what the Bible says we are to do in our lives individually and in our corporate life as churches. Jesus is saying that the priority is speaking his word. That's consistent right through the New Testament. It's the last words of the apostle to Timothy, the first generation of Christian leader. Speak the word. Why? Because that's what saves people. That's what changes people. And if someone here perhaps has been persuaded this morning that the priority is speaking Jesus' words. That persuasion comes from the word. Speak the word. It's not about tension between two competing and equal demands. It's not about balance. Two wings of a plane. It is the priority. And such a resolve to make speaking Jesus' words the priority is deeply compassionate. It is deeply compassionate because it addresses people's deepest needs. The forgiveness of their sins, their growth as a Christian, sustained and comforted by the Lord Jesus as their shepherd. Tonight, a few of us as elders will go to visit Ian Smith in hospital as he has his chemotherapy. Here's what we'll do. We'll have a chit-chat about his treatment, small talk. I'll pretend I know quite a lot about it. We'll chat about who's been in and his family. 
and then we'll leave. No, we won't. We will leave him with Jesus' words. And we'll pray. Because Jesus' words bring comfort to the soul. Jesus' words feed. Jesus' words will help him more than our words to sleep at night. Jesus' words are Jesus' words. They save and they sanctify. They bring comfort and hope. Our decisions have eternal implications. Think of two people. Think of... That's wrong. Think of one person with two possibilities. What would you do for them? Mark's going to help us on Tuesday to think about asking the question, will you read the Bible with me? That's not easy. It's much easier for me to do other things for my friends. But that decision has eternal implications. There are many, many people and organizations in our world. Johnny was praying for our government. Let's remember in these difficult days politically that Christians are called to pray for those in authority. There are many, many people in our society, organizations and governments, who tirelessly seek to address people's temporal needs and to relieve their suffering. And we thank God for these people and organizations. But our mandate, our priority as the Church of Christ, is to attend to the eternal. Speaking Jesus' words is the priority, but it's not the only thing we do. Priority is not a sole concern. Like Jesus, we will and need to reach out and hold people's hands. I think the physical image of that is spot on. Out of compassion, not with an agenda, and sometimes with consequences. It's not easy. It's not easy not to do that all the time. Because we want to. The only place it is easier is in the life of a local church. When we are all mixed up together in each other's lives and we see the suffering and we see the pain and we conclude corporately and individually that the most important thing is to feed people's souls with the living words of Jesus. What does it mean in the life of a local church? Everyone is to speak Jesus' words in evangelism and to each other as Christians, truth in love. Some will have the responsibility for practical aspects of church life, freeing those with public teaching responsibilities 
to devote their time to that. Those with public teaching responsibilities, and you can work out who I'm talking about, need to not do stuff that they might want to do. But not never. That's the reality of this part of Scripture. It means a local church supports gospel partners who are directly involved in speaking Jesus' words or equipping people to speak Jesus' words. Finally, some personal reflections after 10 years as minister. It's a teensy little bit of reflection I'm allowed today on the day that Redeemer goes. Now, you often hear me say that I love you in the Lord, and I do. I'm often saying that because it is true, and I hope you know that. As an under-shepherd of Jesus, I love you. We love you as elders, as pastor-teachers. The most loving thing, though, that I can do for you, the most compassionate thing I can do for you is to speak Jesus' words to you. To devote myself to the prayerful graft of preparation for preaching. But that works itself out in a real local church which is why there's a world of a difference between a pastor teacher and a podcast. They're different. You work it out in the life of a local church where these decisions are not easy. If you think they are easy, then we are better than the Lord Jesus. But as I look back on 10 years, real change happens. Real change happens when Jesus' words are spoken and taught, real assurance comes through Jesus' words. Real comfort comes through Jesus' words. And my last word goes to Sam and Ian as the people who will stand on their feet in Redeemer and speak Jesus' words. If you love the people of Redeemer, that is what you will do. It is not the only thing you will do, but it is the main thing you need to do. And a hundred things will crowd that out. And there are times that you need to reach out like Jesus did and hold somebody's hand for no other reason than compassion. But the most compassionate thing you can do to show that you love them is to look at someone, whatever their need, and say, Luke, what you need is Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins. Now that decision is made with eternity in mind. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for the way that the Bible teaches us these things, persuasively, not forensically, compassionately, not coolly, but we pray that we will heed what the Bible says and obey what Jesus teaches us for his sake and for his glory. Amen.